Turn to Mark 11. In the text of Scripture, Mark 11. Uh, and uh, tonight, uh, for the communion address, uh, just wanted to continue our focus in this chapter. There are just a few verses left at the end of Mark, uh, verses 27 through 33, so seven verses there. And uh, what I want to do, uh, I think there's a, a little bit of a, a, a section break here, and I want to explain that to you. So I'm going to kind of overview this text and how it fits with the verses that follow. And then we'll just briefly pass through it. I, I don't think this will take very long, but I'll try to emphasize something about the person and work of Jesus as we, as we go through there. Uh, so far, starting in the beginning of Mark chapter 11, we've come to a section where Jesus has finally arrived in Jerusalem. And there have been two significant events that have occurred once Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and even on his way in there. Uh, first, he's greeted as a king. He's greeted as a king uh, as he approached the city and his triumphal entry. So as you're thinking Mark 11, that's the first several verses of this chapter where Jesus comes in. The people are singing or shouting, uh, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting from the Old Testament in reference to the fact that this crowd, these people think that Jesus is bringing in the, the kingdom of David, that he's the son of David, and that he's bringing that, that in at this moment. And so at the beginning of the chapter, he receives a king's greeting in the triumphal entry. After that, Jesus boldly confronts corruption in the temple. That's what we looked at this morning. If you were here, boldly confronts correction in the temple. We call it the temple purging or judgment, where Jesus drives out money changers and animals. He overturns tables and chairs. He won't let people take shortcuts through the temple. He stops them, keeps them from doing this because it's polluting the house of his father. So you got the triumphal entry and the, the, the purging of the temple. Okay, we got it so far. After these two dramatic events, how do you suppose the religious authorities in Jerusalem will respond? He's, he's greeted like a king, like a messiah. And then he causes a scene in the temple exercising his authority over it. So what are they going to do? What's the council going to do? What's the Sanhedrin going to do? And the good news is we don't need to guess. Uh, because as we look at our text, even the text we looked at this morning, look at verse 18 of Mark 11. We know exactly what they'll do. It says, and the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking for a way to destroy him. Here, the ruling council in Jerusalem, they desire to kill him. These rulers form the highest ruling figures in Jewish religious life, and they're very important to their political life as well. Many of the rulers that we will talk about in the next few chapters here make up a part of the great Sanhedrin, the council of 70 or 71 uh, different Jewish leaders uh, who exercised authority in Jesus' day. And so Jesus' actions and the crowd's response here are seen by them as a direct attack on their coalition of religious authorities. Uh, one commentator described it this way this week. He said, Jesus throws down the gauntlet and the religious authorities pick it up. 
they're ready. Jesus is issuing a challenge, in a sense, with his, what he's doing in the temple. And so what we see beginning in this part of Mark's gospel, Mark 11, verse 27, down through most of chapter 12, if you're studying this, there should be something that just jumps off the page to you, is you will see conflict or controversy stories. Okay, and I want to show that to you. So look in your Bible, verse 27. And if you mark in your Bible, you might consider doing this. Okay, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, as Jesus and disciples, and he was walking in the temple, or, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, scribes, and elders came to him. So we see that starting off this section 11, 27 through 33, a conflict with those three groups of people. But then go down to chapter 12 in verse 12. Chapter 12, you got a long section about this parable we'll talk about next Sunday morning, Lord willing. But at the end of the parable of the tenants, what Marx wants you to see is Jesus' parable of the tenants is aimed at a particular group of people, the religious elite, again. And there's another conflict. So look at verse 12. And they, so we don't know who they would refer to. You might have to go back up to chapter 11, verse 27. We're going to look at today, chief priests, scribes, and elders. But 12, 12, and they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So what did they do, the religious leaders? They leave him and go away. Okay, so 12, 1 through 12 is about Jesus conflicting with these leaders. Look at 12, 13, and they, who's they? Say it out loud if you know. The, who's they there? I don't know, right? Yeah. The religious authorities again. Okay, we don't have to get too specific here. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians. Okay, so from 12, 13 through 12, 17, Jesus now has a conflict with some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians. We haven't seen this group together since chapter 3. They don't normally get along together, but they're going to confront Jesus over something. But then I'll look at 12, 18. 12, 18, and Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection of the dead. And so from 12.18 through 12.27, you've got a section about the Sadducees. Look at 12.28. And one of the scribes came up. I heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked Jesus what commandment is the most important of all. So what actually starts happening in, in this text is there are five controversies between Jesus and the ruling authorities of his day. Okay, because of the triumphal entry... Because of what he does in the temple, he attracts this group, and they're going to start sending off every different group and individual they can think of to confront him and try to trip him up. Okay, and so that's the bigger section. That's what's going on in this chapter, chapter 11 and chapter 12. So let's look at 11, 27 through 33. As I said, at this point, we'll go pretty quickly through it. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Look at 12, 27, or I'm sorry, 11, 27. It says, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, scribes, and elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one more question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven, or from man, answer me. And they discussed this with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, 
he will say, then why, do you, uh, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, nah, and the syntax is very interesting here in the original. I think the ESV does a good job here. It doesn't even finish that. You know, so you, you see they're in turmoil. But if we say from man, uh, they were afraid of the people. For uh, They all held that John really was a prophet. So, verse 33, they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, so we're going to work quickly as I said through this. I think this section breaks down into two parts. Uh, You have an initial challenge and initial response in verses 27 through 30. The initial challenge comes from the chief priests, scribes, and elders. And in an effort to discredit Jesus, they ask him what or who gives him the right to do what he did in the temple. And I think what they're implying in this statement is that they most certainly did not give him the right. Okay, so they're the ruling council. They're the ones who have the the religious authority, authority in Jerusalem. And so by asking that question, they're implying, well, we didn't give it to you. And I think what's going on uh, from this point in the book and throughout the rest, I think one of the things they're trying to do is they're trying to get Jesus to trip up and say that it's God who has given him the authority as the anointed Messiah or Son of God. And one of the reasons I think they'd be doing this is this will be the political, uh, this will be the way they can politically get the Roman authorities to execute Jesus. If Jesus will just say that he's God's anointed king or ruler, the Roman officials will become uncomfortable with that and they'll, they'll try to kill him. Okay, so in this scenario, you've got these three groups of people coming to Jesus together, trying to trip him up. Jesus, however, doesn't fall for it. He doesn't tell them. Instead, he responds with a counter question. Verses 29 and 30, he asks them to answer one question for, for him before he answers them. He wants them to give him a clear statement regarding the nature of John's Bapt- John the Baptist's ministry. And the way Jesus says this is, was he from heaven or from man? I, I think that the reason he says from heaven is really uh, to, as, as he's ministering to Jewish people here, he doesn't want to offend them by, by saying the name of Yahweh, the name of God. And so by saying from heaven, it's another way of saying he's from God. Okay, so Jesus just wants them to answer this question. Okay, well, Jesus' counter question, I think, is amazing because he knew that John was very popular uh, among the Jews. And so this leads to two final responses. So I said there are two parts. You've got initial challenge uh, and response or challenge regarding authority. Then you have final responses. So the response of the chief priests, scribes, and elders is found in verses 31 through 33, where they kind of reason this among themselves. They, they talk about, you know, which way they can answer this. If we say from heaven, this. If we say from man, this. And then what do they decide to do? What kind of answer do they give Jesus? Uh, this way I say, they basically give Jesus a non-answer. Okay, uh, we, we don't know. And that leads Jesus to respond then by saying, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the example here of Jesus outwitting the chief priests, scribes, and elders. Jesus will not be tricked or duped by their desire to trip him up. 
And so he just, uh, uh, he shows his wisdom and grace here again with these people, I think, in how he reasons with them. Now, it's only later that Jesus will come right out and tell them who he is. And I thought for a communion address, I would like to just read that with you and make some comments. So a few chapters later, I'm going to invite you to turn to Mark 14, verses 61 through 65. As we turn our attention to the Lord's table, Jesus here uh, will no longer avoid the question. He will come right out and make a willful, deliberate decision to tell them who he is, knowing the consequences. So uh, in verse 61 of Mark 14, he's being tried by the high priest. It says, but he remained silent. Actually, let's go up to verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the middle and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are, this is just very specific, right? Are you the Christ or Messiah, the anointed king, the son of the blessed? See, he's avoiding saying the name of God as well. The son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So as we turn our attention to the Lord's table tonight, I thought it would be good for us to look at Jesus is full of wisdom. If he wanted to, he could have avoided this question as well with the high priest. But this moment, when everything lined up appropriately, he made a willful, deliberate decision to tell these, this coalition of religious forces, I am the Messiah, the Son of God, knowing that it would lead to his crucifixion. And so as we reflect upon Jesus, we, he's full of wisdom, but of course he's also the greatest example of personal sacrifice this world has ever known. And so I'm going to invite you now to just take a moment in quiet reflection, reflect upon the Lord's sacrifice and his decision to go to the cross to bear our sins.